not only to use your voice in a way that doesn't exhibit any fear, but to not have the fear, period. <laughs> I'm reading an interesting book on psychology right now, and the tug of war that goes on between is it something that you fix mentally first, or if you just practice better behaviors, you'll get rid of the fear. And I kind of win in your world to the belief that if you get the coaching so that you don't exhibit that fear in your voice, that it spreads throughout your whole brain. And it gives you that not only lack of fear, but it gives you the energy. And there's a lot of energy required to make enough sales calls on those margins to make a living. Welcome to Captivate the Room with your host, internationally known voice expert, Tracy Goodwin, an award-winning speaker who has taught hundreds around the globe to make a big impact with their voice. This podcast is for anyone who wants to step onto a bigger stage, make a bigger impact, and have a voice that makes people listen. Presentation matters, and the voice is the missing link. Join in and you'll see why. Welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you with me today as always. And I've got a great episode for you. Today, my friend Chris Barand is on the show. And I met Chris, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago when he reached out to me. He was doing a big speaking event, like a year-long thing, I believe it was. And I had the opportunity to work with him and One of the things that I recognized right away from Chris was that he got the gist of what I was doing here, which I always love when people in the professional space, especially get what I'm doing here, because it is a little different. It's not typical business coaching. It's not typical speaker coaching. It's not typical voice coaching. And so I worked with him and and I think we, then he came back and we worked on something else. I don't remember. But anyway, he and I have really had some amazing conversations over the years. He has connected me to so many wonderful, wonderful companies where I have been able to come in and do psychology of the voice work. He's had me speak at his events. He is truly the most knowledgeable person you could ever meet in insurance, especially in ENO insurance. And, and we don't even get around to that today. We had such a great conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. We did not even touch on ENO, which is, I'm pretty sure he's the most knowledgeable expert in this area, but he's been doing insurance as long as I've been doing voice. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He's got more than 30 years experience providing consulting services for the property and casualty insurance industry and is recognized as a leading industry consultant. His mission is to help his clients, carriers, and distributors achieve their goals through bespoke solutions. Now, you might be thinking right now, okay, what are they going to talk about insurance that has to do with voice? But just stay with me because we're talking about voice all throughout in relation to the work that Chris does, but it's applicable to any industry, any person. I I think you're going to find this conversation fascinating. 
Chris is a certified business appraiser, which is a designation earned from the Institute of Business Appraisers. The CBA designation is only earned by those who prove that they have a high knowledge of business appraisals, including applicable tax law and case law. And anytime you mention Chris to anybody, the first thing they say is, he is so knowledgeable. He is so smart. He is a nationally recognized speaker and author. He's been a featured speaker at more than 400 seminars and educational programs. He's a monthly columnist for the Insurance Journal, a past columnist for American Agent and Broker, and his articles have appeared in Rough Notes, The National Underwriter, AM Best, and many regional insurance publications. He also publishes Brands Insurance Agency Advisor for Independent Insurance Agents. And he has a podcast that I recently was a guest on. I know Chris is knowledgeable to my level of insurance knowledge. And I know he's super smart. But if you ask me what I thought about Chris Barand, I would say he is absolutely one of the nicest, most delightful people I've ever had the opportunity to work with. I think you're going to really, really, what's the word I want? I think you're going to really find some nuanced surprises in this conversation today. So let's head on over to the show. Chris, welcome to the show. So glad to have you with me today. Tracy, it's always fun to be with you. Well, you know, it, it is, you are such a joy and I'm so glad that you found me so many years ago because Boy, I tell you what, we've had some amazing collaborations. We have. Yeah, absolutely. It's been fun. I've learned a lot from you. I've been able to have uh, achieved some phenomenal res- Not me. Let me rephrase that. My clients to whom I've referred you have been able to achieve some phenomenal results. And, um, you know, it's just been a blessing for all involved. Well, I think what I what I appreciate so much about you is that from the from day one, you got it. You got what I was doing here mm-hmm. and the value of it. Yeah, you know, it, it was very obvious right from the very beginning what you provide and how you coach and your really incredibly unique skill set. Person would kind of have to be not all that bright to not take your advice. <laughs> well, I love that endorsement. And I didn't even <laughs> tell him to say that. <laughs> So, so Chris, one of the things I do here is I like to start with, tell us what you do and how you got into it. And I don't even know the answer to this. Have you been in insurance for your whole life? Yeah, well, not my whole life. Um, It was probably the absolute last industry I would have ever expected to find (laughs) myself. Um, (laughs) I started, uh, you know, I started at IBM and I loved IBM, except that it was in Florida and I, no offense to any listeners in Florida, but I grew up in the West and I could not wait to get back out West. Mm-hmm. All that flat land uh, drove me bottom, just bonkers. So when I came back West, I had a call from an insurance company said, Hey, you want to come interview for this thing called an underwriter? And I really wasn't sure. Some days I'm still not sure what the difference between an underwriter and an undertaker is. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing as you said that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, 
it sounded like a pretty interesting job, uh, the way they had framed it. And it turned out to be really interesting. And I learned that I had skills that I did not know I possessed. The people running the company were pretty much nut jobs. Um, and I mean, not like bad, like nuts. Like, I don't know how they got to their positions at the very, very top of the company. Company, that part of the company no longer exists because of, I always attribute it to somebody had a bad dream and failed to consult anybody as to um, whether the dream had any basis in reality. They just went with the dream that said there was no future in PNC insurance, so we're going to shut it down. They didn't even bother to sell it. They just shut it down. And um, so a few things came together uh, along with my master's. And um, it's like, I think, I really believe that I can make a difference in the lives of people that own insurance agencies. And so uh, with a hope and a prayer and a supportive wife, I started my consulting career at a way too young age and uh, it's worked out pretty well so far. It's I've been doing this now for probably close to 30 years. Wow. So uh, you started your own company pretty early then right after that first place. I did. Yeah. It was crazy to do it. There was no basis in reality for, uh, if you look at a resume (laughs) for doing it, but I did a lot of research and I did a lot of checking out. And I also had some skills that I recognized nobody else in the industry possessed at the time. And I was going to be able to use that as my leverage to get started. And that's what worked. It, it, it was without those things, the rest probably wouldn't have been uh, feasible, especially at that young of an age, because it's crazy to think that a 28 year old is going to come in and tell a 55 year old how to run their business better. I don't care if you're at McKenzie or you're just little old me. That doesn't usually go over too well. Well, you know, that's one of the things that I hear from people all the time that they're concerned about. I work with interns, I work with young people, and I think that's a big thing for everybody. And I, so it's very real all over the place. So that took some courage and belief in yourself to say, yeah, I've got something that can change the game here. It sounds like. Yeah, it did. It took a lot. Uh, It wasn't, I won't tell anybody that it was easy because I lost confidence more than once. Uh, but those first three years were hard. Uh, but yeah, I did. I had, I knew how to program computers. I knew how to do software. And so I was able to design software that was seriously lacking. Still, it's kind of lacking in the industry. And that was going to be the reason for somebody to listen to somebody so young. Because being able to pro- to design my own software gave me a leg up on everybody else. Well, 30 years ago, good grief, I think I still had an 8-track player. So that that must have been in the Camaro. That must so that was that was cutting edge. It was. It was very 30 years edge. ago. Yeah, it was cutting edge. Yeah. yeah, I always tell people that one of the reasons I think I got the job in insurance to begin with when I went was that somebody saw IBM on my resume and that Insurance office, there's like 250 people in that specific office. They had just received their very, very first desktop computer. And they kind of made a shrine out of it because it got its own window office. (laughs) (laughs) 
And they put it in the wrong place because it was a south-facing window, which overheated it. But they had no idea what to do with it. So they put it, that's where they put it. It needed a view, right? And they didn't know how to use it. So they saw my resume and they're like, hey, he came from IBM. This is an IBM. We need to be able to show the home office that we know how to use it. Why don't we hire somebody that knows how to use it? I'm not sure there was any other logic to hire me <laughs> at the time. Um, but yeah, I was able to come in and show them how to use it and do some, some things with it that uh, they probably wouldn't have been able to ever figure out because they were insurance people and insurance people then. And there's actually a new book out that I just got um, last week called uh, From Stone Tablets to Satellites. The continual, intimate, but awkward relationship between insurance and technology. Oh, interesting. And this industry has always been 20, 25 years behind in technology. So, um, yeah, so I was, I really, I was way ahead of everybody else just because I've been at IBM, not because I was any better or smarter. Yeah. Well, why is it so behind? Is it because it's so regulated and it's so ever changing and then that may not even be right but that's the perception from the seat that I sit in working with so many companies you've sent my way is that it's complex it's regulated it's is that why it's so behind technology or is there another reason it's behind for a number of reasons one of the reasons it's pretty it's a pretty interesting reason is that insurance companies were actually some of the very first corporations to adopt high-quality technology back in the very early 60s. Oh, wow. The problem was that they continued to build onto that technology. And so now to use current technology is such a stretch with the, what they've built. And making that transition is extremely expensive and extremely painful. So rather than make the conversion, they just keep holding on and it just puts them further and further and further and further behind. So it's become a, a, just a massive stumbling block on so many levels in this industry. Uh, they can't, they can't, frankly, some of the carriers out there cannot even do the kind of data analysis that a startup company could do today because the systems are just that poor. We do loss run analysis for some of our clients. The carriers can't even provide loss runs that are any better than I was looking at 30 years ago. Oh, wow. And so I think it's always kind of an interesting thing when I read headlines, but they're, they're doing all this with technology. It's like, you're in the business of covering losses. 70% of every dollar you make goes to pay claims and you can't run a decent loss report one that's really got the full details that are required this is kind of a joke isn't it um but i don't think they get it the joke um and <laughs> if we've got to improve there's no two ways about it we have to improve so part of that's the changing of the industry as a whole which probably bore your audience to death if i went into all those details but the other part is a cultural issue, Tracy, and it goes to what you talk about in your the way that you coach people. This industry has a lot to do with let's do things by the gut. 
Oh. On so many different levels that it's almost like it's, an, it's adverse to technology in so many different ways. And I'll give you a really great example of this. So from a regular, you brought up regulatory systems. From a regulatory perspective, all insurance rates for the what are called emitted markets are supposed to be based on actuarial analysis tables, et cetera. And um, it's kind of a running joke at higher levels of how many times CEOs of carriers have gone, there's no way the actuaries are right. I'm just going to go with my gut and I'm going to choose these rates. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then a year or two later, they'll go, see, I was right. My gut's better than the actuaries. Oh, you know, and over time, actuaries can come up with about whatever rate that they want to come up with. In my experience, and I know everybody that is an actuary would cringe and regulators will say that's not possible hearing me say that. But um, I come from the real world and that's the real world. Yeah. So that's part of it, too, that cultural part. And one of the great benefits of what you bring to the table to my clients is you create a bridge between what they're feeling in their gut, either positive or negative, whichever it may be, and how they have to change their communication style to fit reality. Mm -hmm. That bridge is so important in my industry because this industry is really used to going, my gut's the best judge of everything. Huh. That is fascinating. I don't even know if I realized that. Yeah. That's, that is, that's oil and vinegar. Mm-hmm. I mean, our oil and water, right? Mm-hmm. But wow, that is that's very interesting. And I bet the listeners are thinking, I, I bet this is blowing the listeners' mind because, and I know you know this, but or or maybe it becomes the question: Why do people dread insurance so much? Why? Because what I hear you saying goes against the grain of what the layman believes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the only people that ever want to buy insurance are those about to commit arson. Oh, wow. You know, or yeah. you know, suicide, murder, you know, horrible things, yeah. right? People only yeah. ones that really ever want to buy insurance. So there's a dread from that perspective alone. They would rather just avoid having a claim to begin with. So that's part of it. Part of it is that People really don't realize how marginally profitable the insurance industry is. I specialize more on the property and casualty side. On the property and casualty side, over the last 20 years, out of every premium dollar paid, insurance companies have averaged like one to two pennies of underwriting profit. All of their money that they really make is off investment income. So that between paying salaries and paying claims and paying uh, expenses, they literally make one to two pennies per dollar on the actual insurance product. And so it seems like you pay a ton of money and oftentimes you do, but it's simply because there are that many losses, that many claims. 
Well, and that's exactly where I wanted you to go, because I think that's a big misconception. At least I hear that from the people that I coach Mm -hmm. that are agents or producers or that a lot of the pushback is, well, that's a waste of money. I spend all this money for nothing. And I think that we have this. uh, I think a lot of people potentially have this delusion that every insurance agent sitting there getting rich. Yeah. Yeah. And insurance companies don't. You know, they very low profit margins. Insurance agencies have higher profit margins by mm. and large. But still, I mean, they if you think about it on uh, if you're ins- if you're insurance sales, if for if the policy costs a thousand dollars, the insurance agent on, a say, a personal auto policy or homeowners policy, the insurance agency as a whole, they're making maybe about one hundred and twenty to one hundred and forty dollars out of that thousand. And out of that, if they're the salesperson, they are making probably about $40 out of that. So that, I mean, that's not a lot of money. (laughs) It's just not not a lot lot of money. No. So it's a ton of work for the money that they make. It really is. The other misconception that I'd like to, Maybe use this as an educational opportunity. Yeah, for sure. And this is a problem because of um, the complexity of insurance, but also because of the massive advertising that exists. Advertising that insurance is a commodity. Mm-hmm. Insurance is never supposed to be a commodity. And consumers, anybody listening to this podcast, would be would benefit if they no longer view insurance as a commodity. And view it instead as this is a way I'm protecting my balance sheet. This is a way I'm protecting my life savings. This is a way I'm protecting my corporation from potential bankruptcy. Because that's what insurance is actually designed to do. A lot of people buy insurance because in order to drive a car, the state makes you have insurance. If you're a contractor, you have to show certificates of insurance in order to get a job, on and on and on. If you're a doctor, you have to have medical malpractice insurance in order to practice. So on and on and on. So that's one of the misconceptions is, well, insurance is just, I have to buy this stuff so that I can actually have a license or to get the next job or whatever it is. Insurance was designed originally, and it's still the case today. It's just that Everybody has a misconception, it seems like. That's to protect the balance sheet. So that if your house burns down, Tracy, and it's a covered loss, you will get the same house as soon as it can be rebuilt. And your financial loss for that entire fire might be $500 in deductibles. The whole goal of insurance is to provide that safety net in the case something really horrible goes wrong in your life or for your business. Somebody sues your business for who knows what reason. One of the fun, one of the more fun parts of the insurance industry is hearing all the absolutely crazy claims mm. that occur to the point where you can never make them up. And you see people sue for the weirdest stuff. <laughs> No basis at all for the suits, except in their delusional minds sometimes, or their plaintiff attorney delusional minds. And um, here's this great insurance policy 
that pays all your attorney's fees to protect Tracy Goodwin's business. Mm -hmm. That's what it's designed for. Mm -hmm. It's not really designed for that proof that you have insurance. It's designed for those really bad deals where something out of the blue comes along that you couldn't predict. And you would probably go bankrupt if it wasn't for a good insurance policy. Well, and I would think, and I do not know, you're the expert for sure. I would think there's way more of that than ever before. And, and as you were talking about that, that craziness, I thought about that famous McDonald's coffee lawsuit. I think that opened the door for ridiculous. I'm not minimizing that the person didn't get burned, mm -hmm. but I think that gave people an opportunity to think outside of the box and be litigious about things. Mm -hmm. And that has to, just like the natural disasters, we were talking about natural fires before mm -hmm. we started recording. Are there, is there way more of that now than there was say 25 years ago? It feels like it, or do we just, did we just not know about it then because we didn't have cable news? <laughs> well, it's pretty fascinating actually. Then if you take hail claims out of the picture, uh-huh. The number of claims is pretty static. Really? Yeah, the number of insured claims are, is pretty static. Now, that, huh. that takes some explanation uh, because there's a lot of uninsured claims that occur. And that they're uninsured because people look at insurance and go, it's, I don't want, I never use it. And then in their minds, they don't use it because they haven't had a claim. They're actually using it to protect their balance sheets in a business world. And this is a, a fact in, in the business world. If you have loans and things like that, if you didn't have insurance, you'd have to have millions and millions more dollars in cash in the bank in order to get the same jobs, in order to get loans and all that. It really is the cheapest form of capital any business could ever hope for. So that's part of it. But part of it is, that isn't so anyway, to go back, people just don't buy insurance because they don't see the bigger picture. Let me give you a mm -hmm. story about mm -hmm. how crazy claims can be. This is one of my very favorite stories. Okay. All right. So this goes back a little bit, but this guy's in a fast food parking lot. And he's a good Samaritan, a super good person, right? And he goes out, opens, he leaves the fast food restaurant, opens his door, accidentally um, nicks the green Ford Tempo that's next to him. Being a good person, he comes back into the restaurant, says in a loud voice, who has a green Ford Tempo? I just accidentally nicked the paint on your door. Someone raises their hand, they go out, they exchange insurance cards, no big deal. A few weeks later, the person that owns the Ford Green Tempo what literally walks in to the other person's agent's office because they exchange insurance cards and go, oh, my aching back. I have a back injury. Oh, my gosh. No. Seriously. And it was a totally fraudulent claim, obviously. But it cost the insureds, and frankly, they had a good insurance, auto insurance policy, so their insurance company paid over $50,000 in legal fees to prove it was a fraudulent claim. Oh, my gosh. And people don't, you know, if you haven't been through it, you don't expect yeah. stuff like that. You have no idea it even happens. 
But this is the sort of thing that otherwise you're out um, dead minimum of 50,000. Insurance companies can afford to pay for the better lawyers. Maybe you couldn't afford to pay for mm-hmm. the better attorneys out of your own pocket. You wouldn't even know who to call. And so you're even at a further disadvantage. And so insurance is a really, is a, it's expensive. It's no fun to buy. It's a lot more fun to buy toys with that money. But it's, that's the real goal is Mm -hmm. to protect you from stuff like that, that you have, there's no other, you have no other control over that situation. Right. That makes me, as you were telling that story, which is truly unbelievable. And I would imagine that goes on more than we could, I mean, we'd be here for nine days talking about all the stories, you know, like that. Right. <laughs> but that may be like, I know when, right before I left Texas, somebody, back, there was a wild party at the building and somebody backed in and smashed the back of my car. They didn't leave a note. It's probably why people don't leave notes anymore. Because <laughs> right? they were afraid I'd call up and go, you broke my leg. And it was in the middle of the night. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I walked out the next morning. And I went, wait a minute. What just, there's my bumper. What, (laughs) you know, I slept through the whole thing, but that's, there's probably a lot of fear around it. And I want to go back to what you said about the, the sales stuff and how little they make that must require tremendous hustling to make any money was the first thought that came into my head, but then something else came into my head, something that you and I have been recently collaborating on, which is people can't fear selling. People can't fear conflict. People can't fear bothering people with those kind of margins. No, you can't have that fear. And that's, I think that's one of the most important things that you coach on is not only to use your voice in a way that doesn't exhibit any fear, but to not have the fear period. And I'm, not a psychologist. I'm, I'm reading an interesting book on psychology right now. And the, the tug of war that goes on between, is it something that you fix mentally first? Or if you just practice better behaviors, you'll get rid of the fear. Oh, interesting. Of, yeah. And I kind of land in your world to the belief that if you get the coaching so that you don't exhibit that fear in your voice, that it spreads throughout your whole brain and it gives you that not only lack of fear, but it gives you the energy. And there's a lot of energy required to make enough sales calls on those margins to make a living. Yeah. And if you can do it, you can make a great living, really great living, but man, you can't have that fear and you've got to maybe you know, you combine what you do and you combine the idea that insurance is really, truly a good thing. And it is. It's yeah, I'm about it. If it's sold the correct way, not as commodity, but customized to the individual, we do so much good in the world. We can change the world for the better. All the for all the young people listening and looking for some way to change the world for it better. If you sell insurance the right way, you can change the world for mm-hmm. the better one client at a time and make good money doing it. But you've got to have that confidence. You can't have that fear. And you can't fear that you're upsetting somebody simply by trying to make their life better by selling them the insurance that they truly need. Right. 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 And I see it all the time. 
You must see it all the time. All the time. All the time. Well, if I offer them the insurance they really need, they'll get upset at me. Yeah. Right. I I can't even, I can't even hold on a minute. I got to untangle that. I can't, (laughs) but it's prevalent. It's prevalent. Yeah. So what's the book? What is that one of the books you've told me about? Or what is the book where it's talking about inside versus outside? Um, The book is, um, let me see if I can get the title right. It's um, Good Reasons for Bad Feelings. Oh, wow. That sounds like a great book. And it reminds me of when I worked with actors many years ago. Now, I'll still occasionally work with an actor, but something that I noticed with actors, which I'm sure fed into psychology of the voice, is some actors have to get the mindset of the character first, and then they can get the physicality, the voice, and the body. Where like a Heath Ledger had to find the voice of the Joker and the movement of the Joker first, and then he could figure out his brain. And I think that's really, I think that people might be inclined one way or the other. There probably is a blend of both. Of course, my work and and like what you just said, you feel like to me, it's all about the noise in your head because Mm -hmm. it's going to come out. In fact, I coached a woman the other day and I said, okay, what happened in that interview? And and she said, I didn't want to answer the question. I said, I know. Because we could hear it. And so they go into a conflict, they go into a sales call, they go into a a high stakes review where the, the rate is doubling or tripling. They bring that in. That's a problem. It's a real problem. And yeah, I, Gosh, I've only worked with several thousand uh, insurance salespeople. (laughs) Just a few thousand? (laughs) Uh, And um, it's, Tracy, it's almost none of them that struggled believed in what they were selling. They didn't, they Mm. thought they were just selling insurance without understanding what it really did. So they had no belief. So then they got really scared of actually walking in and talking about rate increase because it was a rate increase for what reason? Mm-hmm. It was just a rate increase for the insurance company to make more money for all they knew. You combine believing in what you're actually doing as being good for the world, legitimately so, not fake. I don't believe in the fake yeah. stuff. And you take your training where to add on to the confidence, because anytime you believe in what you're doing, you're going to have more confidence and it'll get you over the rough parts. Add what you do. So that people aren't afraid of or don't create conflict because it's not really conflict. And most of the time it's that they create imaginary conflict in their brain. They create that noise. And really, when you're going out to deliver that big rate increase or bad news for your audience, that's not in insurance, any kind of bad news. Well, why is it bad news? What generated the bad news? And. Is it something that the client could have controlled or is it something that's outside of everybody's control? What's the solution? And for you to be able to help that person, regardless of what caused it, you have to have confidence in your solution. If you walk in flat out afraid of whatever they're going to say, what's that say about your confidence in your solution? And what's that say about your, the value you're actually bringing to the table? Well, and they'll hear it. They will hear it. 100%. They will hear it in your voice. Absolutely, they will. 
you know, and it's all going down subconsciously. Some of it's going down consciously, but we have to buy in. <laughs> if I, if I'm going to get you to buy into what I'm doing over here, I have to buy in. Uh-huh. And, and I, and we, we were talking earlier about the younger people. That's one of the biggest things I see them make the mistake of is, well, I don't know everything. Right. Well, well, are you going to buy in and be confident when you do? You, you <laughs> might be 40 or 50, you know, what, you got to work from what you have right now. You got to work from you, what you know right now. You, that's it's not what it sounds like you did. You didn't know everything. And you were in the room with people that are double, triple your age. Yes, that, you know, I, I, I got lucky. I've been, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I got lucky on two fronts. One, I started my university uh, career at a, the very first day at a very uh, a top rated university. Um, in some categories, they were at the time they were rated number one in the world. Oh, wow. And the first day of the orientation, the person said, there's a lot of you in here that won't be here in a year because this university is not for everybody. But hopefully, even if you leave, you will have learned to use whatever information you have at hand and make the best decisions possible. Then the capstone of that was, I think it was just about my last test in my master's program. The finance professor had a question on the test that was not answerable. Mm. And his whole goal with it was to see what people could do with the information at hand. Mm. And there were people just crying, literally crying because they didn't have the right information. They didn't have everything they needed to solve the problem. Mm. And um, I was really lucky because maybe it's because I didn't take things serious enough. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But it was like, you know, you've got to use what you've got. And go with it and you make the best decisions that you can and you offer the best advice that you can and go with it because you never, ever, ever have all the information. Ever. Right. But, you know, I would think that one of your superpowers and and you have many, but I think one of your superpowers is you just can figure stuff out. You work from that place of there is a solution. Yes. I'm going to find it. Correct. I do that. And and I don't know that I, I think we get so many people. Well, I don't know. OK, well, guess we can't do that. Where you your wheels are always turning. You're always learning. You're always teaching new things. You're always finding a new way. I think that's one of the things that people love so much about bringing you in. You're so about the solution. That's a fair statement. I am. I really am. Yeah. And I think this is something that people in any career can use really is there's nothing's ever going to be perfect. Right. The competitive advantage always lies in identifying a solution that everybody else is giving up on, on the problem to. Right. Yeah. So we have a really fun, fun opportunity to go that route. And also if you, I think that people take that approach, it gives you confidence. Mm-hmm. Right. Because otherwise it's a going back to my programming days. It's either a one or a zero mm-hmm. in computer language. It's a one or a zero. There are no twos, threes, fours and fives. Mm-hmm. So when people look at it and they go, shoot, I don't know the solution. 
they're a one or they're a zero. Huh. Right. So taking it this way, you may never get to the right, the perfect solution, but you're not going to be a one or a zero. You're going Mm -hmm. to be closer to the solution, even if it's not perfect. And that's a humongous competitive advantage. If I can get the answer 80% right instead of giving up. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I need some of y'all to hit the replay on that, hit the replay button right now, because that is one of the biggest trip ups that I see. Not just my younger people make people across the board so locked up and getting it right and getting it perfect and 100 percent. You're going to be chasing that the rest of your life Mm -hmm. because there's no such thing. There is no such thing. Yeah. People. If people really want to get deep on it and go back and read a very old book huh. that kind of uh, gets that point is um, read the uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle. Oh, I love that book. <laughs> that is such a great book. Isn't it, though? It is. It's been probably 25 years since I read it. I need to go yeah. back and read it. I love, you know, I got the part where they get to something goes wrong with the motorcycle and they start working on it and then the screw strips out. And then they start figuring out, they get so fixated on the screw and they forget what the bigger problem is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's just the bigger problem is that we need to get to a better solution, even if it's not the perfect solution. Mm -hmm. Let's just keep moving in that direction. And what I find also, I'm working on a project today that's just been um, so much fun for me over the years to work on this is that that attitude has enabled me and this particular client to achieve greater heights than we would have ever expected to achieve if we had just come to the single solution. Because as we started to explore, just get better and better, we realized that the ultimate um, potential was far greater than either of us had ever expected it to be. That's exciting. So, yeah, it really is. So I'm a huge fan of doing doing it that way and just kind of keeping that open mind. And if you just go for that perfect answer right out of the box, that's just, that's going to be full of disappointment. Right. And frustration and failure. Not that I think failure is bad, but you want to work for that for proof. When I've got, that's a big part of that confidence. When I've got proof that I accomplished something Okay, I've got some proof to feed into that confidence. But if I give up on everything, right, you know, I, right. I I have no proof that I can do anything. That is so 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 true. Yeah, yeah. you got to build in steps, and mm-hmm. if you just want to go from zero to the finish line without all the steps in between. That's that's really rough. That's yeah. really hard. You're gonna have some hard lessons. Yeah. It's really hard. And again, that voice coaching for those that are listening, it doesn't, I want to emphasize, it's not just about sales. Um, right. One of the great stories I've seen uh, one of my clients go uh, uh, experience with you. And I, to me, this is maybe the very best story is the coaching that you gave to give a person that enabled them to gain confidence in their ability work, to work with others. Mm -hmm. they were so I'm going to read between the lines here, the tea leaves and um, that one of the reasons they were so incredibly abrasive 
to people was the lack of confidence in dealing with people mm-hmm. and give generating confidence in themselves that they could deal with people in a collaborative fashion and that everything didn't have to be antagonistic totally changed that person's life for so much better. You know, they aren't stressed out every night about everyone hating their guts. Mm-hmm. That confidence is just so important. And it's not a fake confidence. And I hear a lot of people say, well, these salespeople or whatever, they're, they're just faking it until they make it. Silicon Valley. You know, that's the thing that they do mm-hmm. out there. Fake until you make it, right? What we're talking about here is genuine confidence. It's not fake. And that makes your life better, period. Right. And that's really... That's what it's about to me. There's there, there's got to be inner freedom. Yeah, there's an external result. And that's what you're talking about is just a mask of defense. It's just a protection from feeling like I don't know enough and I know they don't like me in all this game. But we have to, we have to, again, going back to that mind stuff, it's an inside job. Mm-hmm. You can't fake it till you make it. I don't even want the fake version of you. I want to know who you are. And it is, it is obtainable. It's so, so easily obtainable. So, so now, and I, cause I know we're going to have to wrap it up here in just a minute, but you go around, you travel and you teach and you're on the road all the time. You go into agencies and you teach them things and work with them on things. And I don't even know all the things that you do when you go on these, <laughs> on these, on all this travel, but you go make their lives better. Well, that's, you know, that's why I got into it. It really is. One of the things I learned doing my master's was I did a year long uh, internship with the SBA. Mm. And I learned that I had a knack for helping small business owners see the light and uh, giving up things that really were making their lives more difficult. And that by giving those things up, then they could focus on the things that made their lives better. I didn't re- plan on insurance agents being quite as stubborn as they turn out to be, Mm. but um, I'm giving those things up, but that's my ultimate goal is whether I'm working with insurance companies or technology companies or uh, insurance distributors is ultimately the goal is to make their lives better for their clients, their employees, vendor partners. Um, Yeah. That's, that's the ultimate goal. Well, and you are the master of it. You are truly, truly amazing at what you do. And I'm just, again, I started the show with it. I'm going to end the show with it. I just, I'm so grateful. So many days, every day, I think about the day I got that phone call from this guy that had seen one of my YouTube videos and that was you. And it, I mean, it's just been such so great to know you and work with you over all the years. And I love the work that you do. I love the way that you see the world through the same eyes that I do. And I know that you have given the listeners so much to think about today. And it's it's just been great to have you. Thank you. For, I know how busy you are. So thank you for having the time to come on the show. Yeah. Well, thanks for the forum. It's a different bit of a kind of a things that I don't usually get the opportunity to talk about, but it's really essential to all of my clients at many different levels. It's just not what they pay me to talk about usually. So thanks for the opportunity. Um, I really enjoyed it. It's always fun to be with you. It's always, it's always fun to have a conversation with you. 
Oh, we could we can talk. We can figure it out, Chris. You and I can sit around and figure it out. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. And well, listeners, I'm going to put Chris's information in the show notes. If you are an agent, if you know an agent, if you have agents in your family and and they want to improve their business, definitely reach out to Chris. But I'm so glad you were with us. And thank you, listeners. You know how much I appreciate you, but I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. So until I see you next time, you know what to do. Get out there and speak your truth. Just do it beautifully. Thanks for listening to Captivate the Room with Tracy Goodwin. You can reach out to her at CaptivateTheRoom.com and be sure to grab The Voice Formula, a free video series that will help you start making a bigger impact with your voice today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. 